We're studying out of 1 Corinthians is where we are. And if you want to go ahead and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians, that's where we'll be. We'll be in chapter, be in chapter 7. When I was a boy, Hank Aaron was chasing Babe Ruth's record. This hat, this hat right here, this Braves hat, is about 40 years old. It used to have a thing in here, you know, that sized it up. Well, my big old head, it just, you don't even have to have that anymore. But I think my dog Blackie, there's a lot of chew marks right here, and that's where my dog Blackie chewed the hat, you know. So, I mean, those chew marks are that old as well. Um, but I loved baseball when I was a little boy. I loved watching baseball, and I, and I went to Fulton County Stadium, the old one, and got to get this hat there, you know, and, and uh, got to watch the Braves play a doubleheader against the Giants. I remember that game. I, I remember it. I was more of a Reds fan. I was more of a Dave Concepcion, Pete Rose, uh, Joe Morgan, uh, Johnny Bench. I, don't let me talk. I'll keep going on and on about the big red machine in the 70s. But I was really a big, huge Hank Aaron fan. I really was. And I remember a time when uh, I was a little fella and me and my daddy, we were, um, we were sitting in front of the TV watching the Braves game and Hank Aaron was up to bat. He was up to bat and Hank Aaron uh, swung and he hit a single. And I was so disappointed. I was seven, six, seven years old and I complained to my dad he was supposed to hit a home run. I mean, that's, that's, that was his job, wasn't it? It was his job to hit home runs, right? And my daddy, I'll never forget it. His, my daddy said, well, son, he didn't hit a home run every time. I want to tell you that today. I want to tell you that and use it on myself today. As a preacher, I don't always hit a home run. Hey, I'm telling, let me tell you something. I'm swinging for the fence. Just like Hank Aaron did. He was swinging for the fence. But you know what else he led the league in? Not only home runs, he led the league in strikeouts. He was always swinging for the And a lot of times I strike out in sermons. I'm not always a, always a, a home run dad. Sometimes I'll just hit a single. Sometimes I just mess up totally. I'm not, I'm not always a, a home run husband. I'm not, hey, I'm always swinging for the fence. I want my wife to be pleased with me. And singles are good, aren't they? But sometimes I just strike out. I want you to understand that this morning as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. As a father, as a preacher, as a friend... As a Christian, oh, I swing for the fence. It's my intention to hit a, a home run. But many times I strike out. And a lot of times I'm blessed to be on base and even in the game. I want to give you and I want to show you this morning a piece of marital advice from the Bible. This is biblical marriage advice and because I'm not always a home run dad I'm not always a home run husband because I'm not always a home run, home run preacher the only thing I can do for you the only thing I can biblical marital advice that I can give you that's going to be worth anything I mean my opinion's not worth as much as what the Bible's going to tell us okay so I want you to understand that this is biblical marital advice Biblical marriage advice. 
God's marriage advice is always perfect. And this marriage advice, it's going ha- to help everybody here. It's going to help the married folks and the single folks. The both folks who have never gotten married, it's going to help the young folks and the old folks. This hits everybody, this particular chapter does. God's biblical marriage advice. It's found, the, the advice I want to start with is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning with verse 29, if you'll, if you'll look there. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 29. The Bible's advice on marriage says this, But this I say, brethren, the time is short, so that from now on even those who have wives should be as though they had none. What? What? Live like you don't have a wife? Is that the advice from Paul to the Corinthians and to us today to live like you don't have a wife? If we rip this advice out of its context as people are wont to do, I know some who have left their spouses because of this particular verse right here. But why in the world would Paul say this? Why would he why would he say live like you're not married? Even those who have wives should live as though they have none. Well, let's find out. Let's look at the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. In the letter to the Corinthians, Paul has been correcting many of their faults. And we find here in the very first verse of 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that the Corinthians had written Paul a letter. The Corinthians had, they had questions they wanted Paul to answer. All right? And God, he had answers. He has answers about marriage. You can flip over a few in chapter 8. There's, there's a, he, they ask a question about idols, and Paul's answering that question that they had about idols, about, about worship in chapters 10 and 11, about spiritual gifts in, in chapter 12. You look over at, uh, at chapter 15, they had questions about the gospel. They had questions about the end of time. And Paul is answering these questions. In verse 16, they had questions about the collection. To the saints, and Paul's answering those questions in, in chapter 16. But first, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning with verse 1, Now concerning the things of which you wrote me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. In verse 1, Paul begins to answer their questions. And the first answer is, <laughs> It is good for a man not to touch a woman. That's the answer to their question. The question had to be one of a sexual nature. We don't know the exact question that they asked Paul, but his answer to their question is, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. You know, I thought Genesis said that it was good for a man not to be alone. You know, I thought Genesis said that woman, woman was taken out of the rib. I mean, the rib of man was made into a woman. I thought the biblical advice in Genesis chapter 3 was to leave and cleave. And then leave with your wife, right? Leave and cleave to a girl named Eve. That's what Adam was told to do, right? I thought we were supposed to touch each other. How else could we be fruitful and multiply? But the advice here is, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Why? Why is Paul giving this advice? 
What Paul tells us, the reason why, ties in directly to verse 29. Okay, the reason, the reason why ties into our, our beginning verse today in verse 29. In fact, all of these verses taken by themselves could mean something else. But you, if you put them all together, if you put all these verses in chapter 7 together, we get a clear picture of why Paul seemingly contradicts untouchable principles. Verse 2, nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, each woman have her own husband. Notice the words, church. Because of the sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, not, not living girlfriend. Each woman is to have her, her own husband, not, not friend with benefits. It is good if you do not touch each other, because, but because of sin... The sin that's hard for you to to live without, get married. Get married. Verse 3, let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to the husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Those of us who are married, do we take this gift of God for granted? If you're married, do you take that gift of God, the fact that we can have guilt-free sex, do you take that gift for granted? We are to render affection due our spouses. Verse 5, do not deprive one another with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Married people in this room, married people in this room, Satan is out to destroy your marriage. He's going to use every tactic that he has to destroy your marriage. Satan is out to get you and will use your own love and your own needs against you. Sex answers our, our base natural de- desire. We have this desire to be with one another. God elevates sex to its proper role. The proper role of sex is in marriage. Verse 6. But I say this as a concession, Paul says. Not as a commandment. What is a concession? Well, the the compromise. Look at it this way. The compromise that is not a commandment. That's what this is, is a compromise. To get married because of all the immorality in the world. Why? Verse 7, For I wish that all men were even as myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. Paul says he wishes all were like him. And how was that? Well, Paul wasn't married. We all have our value. One has one value, another, another value, that verse 8. But, but I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it's good for them if they remain even as I am. Stay unmarried if you can. If you can, Paul's advice to you, it's not a commandment, Paul's advice to you is to stay unmarried if you can do it. Verse 9, but if they cannot exercise self-control, Let them marry. 
for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. It's not, he's not saying it's better to marry than to burn in hell. That's not what he's saying. It's better to marry than to burn with passion. If you can't control yourself, get married. Because of passion, because of lust, because of nature, because of self, self, uh, the lack of self-control, get married. There's the first piece of advice. To all you guys out there who are single. It's best if you don't get married. But if you do get married and you can't stand it any other way, then get married. If, if, if you're out there having sex, if you're out there running around, it's better if you got married. Don't live together. Don't shack up. Don't sneak around. Don't hook up. In the words of Don Cherry, what else do y'all do? It's better to marry than to burn with passion, with lust. Why? Well, passion, lust, fornication, sex outside of marriage, it's not pleasing to God. Fornication is a sin, period. You cannot have sex outside of marriage and be pleasing to God. If you do, it is a sin. When you are married and have God's blessing, sex can be can be beautiful. Look at verse 10. Now to the married I command, not yet not I but the Lord, a wife is not to depart from her husband. But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife, but to the rest... I, not the Lord, say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But now, they are holy. Now, here's the other piece of marital advice. Get married. If you can't control yourself, get married. And when you get married, if you get married... Stay married. If you get married, stay married. That's that's pretty plain, isn't it? It's pretty plain. If you get married, stay married. If you can if you can live with your spouse, do so. Now, other passages now other passages deal with adultery. Other passages uh, that's a different sermon. That's not this sermon. Okay, if you're looking for uh, marriage, divorce, and remarriage sermon, that's not this sermon. If your spouse cheated on you and you can remarry, this advice, though, pertains to you. Don't get married. But if you do get married, stay married. To those who have been married for months or years, this applies to you. Stay married. Period. Stop looking for a way out. This applies to the single. This applies to the teenagers. This applies to the widowed. This applies to the bitterly divorced. This is not a sermon about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. This part just read is marriage advice for man and woman. All men and women who are trying to make it in this world of children and school and work and bills. Don't break up. If you get married, stay married. 
Verse 15, but if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. If your unbelieving husband or your unbelieving wife, if they want to go, well, let them go. People usually do what they want to do. God has called us to peace. Church, we need peace in our homes, don't we? We need peace in our homes. Tonight I'm going to be talking about that. Peace in our homes, peace in the, in the church. We need peace. Peace edifies. That's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Peace edifies. Peace builds us up. We need peace. And a daddy who will leave his children, he'll answer to God for that. And a woman who will leave her husband because she just can't stand the sight of him, she'll answer to God for that. Don't leave. Don't leave. If you get married, stay married. Verse 16, For how do you know, O wife, how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? You may be the, the only way that they will ever come to a knowledge of the truth. Your wife or your husband, they may not know the truth. They may not have ever accepted the truth. And you may be the only way that they find that truth out. You may be the only way that they'll be able even to accept the truth. Their precious soul may depend upon how you act. Verse 17. But as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk, and so I ordain in all the churches. You've been given so many gifts. We've, we've, been, we've been given so many blessings in Christ Jesus God's wisdom has given those called by the Gospels blessings that are not afforded to the people of this world. Paul ordained this in all the congregation. Paul issues an order, and here he is, here's the order explained, okay? Verse 18, was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is not is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it, but if you can be made free, rather use it. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God in that state in which he was called. The, the modern way of saying this is when you're called by the gospel, come as you are. Come as you are. When you are convinced that you need to obey the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, come as you are. Keeping God's commands is what matters. Not what we think is what matters. It's what matters to God. That's what matters. Verse 25. Now concerning virgins. I have no commandment from the Lord, yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in His mercy has made has made trustworthy. Virgins, here the translators of the Bible have used the word in many ways. It's used as a man or a woman who has never had sex. That's a virgin, a man or a woman who has never had sex. In the Septuagint, that's the Greek version of the Old Testament, it's used of a marriageable maiden or for a, a young married woman. A virgin, that, that word is translated for them. Thayer says here in our passage, in our passage that we have before us today in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it's one 
It's one who is marriageable. It's one who's able to marry. All right? And that, that, that hits a lot of you in this room. Young and old. If you, like Paul, are not married but could get married, this advice is for you. If you're like Paul and you're not married but you could get married, this advice is for you. This is not a command, but it's biblical marriage advice. Verse 26, But I suppose, therefore, that it is good because of present distress that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Again, this is not a command, but it's better not to marry. Paul's advice to those of you who are not married is don't get married. If you're not married, don't get married. That seems strange, doesn't it? Wait a minute, I thought we were supposed to leave and cleave. I thought woman was made for man. Paul's advice is if you're not married, don't get married. If you are rightly married, don't get unmarried. During this chapter, basically, three big times, three big sections in this passage in in chapter 7, Paul says, if you're married, stay married. If you're married, stay married. If you're married, stay married. If you're not married, don't get married. If you're not married, don't get married. If you're not married, don't get married. He says it three times to both sides. So why, in chapter 7, verse 28, it says, Such will have trouble in the flesh, but I would spare you. That's, that's why. That's why he's saying that. That's why he's saying don't get married. Because if you get married, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have more trouble than you can shake a stick at. Marriage has trouble. Amen, men. Don't say amen. I'm trying to save you a little bit there. But we can say it, you can say it silently in your heart. When you are married, you have trouble. Paul wants to spare you who have never been married or even want to. Don't do it, he says. Don't get married. If you don't have to get married, don't get married. If you ask me to marry you, I'm going to get you off by yourself. Did you know that? If you ask me to marry you, at some point I'm going to get you off by yourself and I'm going to say, are you sure? Are you really, really sure you want to get married to this woman? Are you really sure you want to get married to this man? I want you to be sure because you don't have to. You're going to have trouble in the flesh. When you're married, you become one flesh. And with that freedom, with that freedom of, 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 of guilt-free sex, with that freedom comes a lot of responsibility. A whole lot of responsibility. Those who are married must be prepared to stay married. Verse 29, But I say this, brethren, the time is short. 
so that from now on even those who have wives should be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they did not possess. Those who use this world as not misusing it for the form of this world is passing away. But I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. There is a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord that she may be both be holy both in body and spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And I say this for your own profit, not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper that you may serve the Lord without distraction. I'm going to sum up these verses, but I want the Lord Jesus to sum up these verses for us here. Keep your finger in, in, in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians. Keep your finger, but turn over to Mark chapter 10. I want the Lord to sum up these verses for us, if you don't mind. Lord Jesus, in Mark chapter 10 and verse 23, it says, Then Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And his disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were greatly astonished. Among themselves, who then can be saved, they said. But Jesus looked at them and said, with men it is impossible, but with God, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Then Peter began to say to him, see, we have left all and followed you. So Jesus answered and said, Surely I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sister or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Look back at Matthew chapter 10. Again, let the Lord answer himself here in 1 Corinthians. Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Jesus says here, You think I came to bring peace on the earth? I do not think I, I, do not think I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Let me go ahead and add because Paul adds it. He who loves his wife more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves her, her husband more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. If you turn back to Matthew chapter 6 verse 33, it basically says the premise, the whole, the whole thing that Paul's trying to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is put God first. Before your wife, before your husband, before your brother, before your sister, before your children. Put God first before the yard mowing. Before the plumbing job, before the remodel, 
God first. When you become a Christian, you will not have peace with all the people, places, things, and ideas. You want to have peace with all the nouns of this world. Timothy Tucker passed along a great quote this past week. The quote says, People want the convenience of feeling right without the inconvenience of living right. Amen? Brother Shockley says all the time, God and His Word are an inconvenient truth for folks. It's inconvenient to want to live as God lives, wants you to live. What Paul is saying is, if you, if you are married, stay married. If, 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 if you're not married, don't get married. Basically, put God first in your life. You must put God before your spouse. If you're not married, if you're not married, you should be putting God before anything and anybody anyway. You singles out there, you should be putting God before anything, anybody, anyway. This is not only marriage advice. This hits everybody. The married and the unmarried. The old and the young. If you're unmarried, stay that way. If you're divorced, stay that way. If you're single, stay that way. If you're widowed, stay that way. Unless you just can't stand it. Then if you get married, stay married. Stay that way. Why? Well, give your extra time. What you'd be using. If you're single, give your extra time. What you would be using to please your your spouse, give that extra time to God. We have singles here at Fountainhead that do so much. And some of you could step it up. Some of you could step it up. We've got broken people here. We've got lost coins, as was preached last week. We've got lost coins in our house who have so much value. We've got married folks who, have, who, who are so concerned about their relationship that they won't do anything for God. Then we've got some couples, families, that work so hard for God. It's so awesome when we can mobilize our families for God. The week before when we were door knocking, it was so great. I'm not going to point who it is, but it was so great to see that whole family walking down the street as a family to go door knocking together. Mama, daddy, and children. That was awesome. If we can mobilize our families, we'd be strong. Back at verse 35, Paul's not trying to make a trained dog out of you. That's not what he's trying to do. A leash... Leash, put a leash on you. The King James Version translates leash as snare. The expression, the expression is really borrowed from war. Borrowed from war where the enemy is captured and constrained to obey some command. We have free will. We're not, we're not being forced. Let me tell you something though. We'll all have to answer for our sins. We will everyone have to answer for our sins. Get married. Get married. If you've got to get married, get married. If, if you've got to get married, do so. You're not sinning. You're sinning by fornicating. 
You're sinning by fornicating. Let me say it again. You're sinning by fornicating. You're sinning by living together. Stop that and get married. It's better to, better to marry than to burn with passion. But if you don't have to, verse 37, then Nevertheless, he who stands steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but has power over his own will and has so determined in his heart that he will keep his virgin, does well. Verse 38, so then he who gives her in marriage does well, but he who does not give her in marriage does better. Do you notice Paul's favoritism here? Don't get married what he wants you to do. Verse 39, a wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives. But if her husband dies, she is at liberty to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. But she is happier if she remains as she is, according to my judgment. And I think I also have the Spirit of God. If, if you need to, Paul is saying, you're free to marry. But Paul believes it's best if you don't. If you're single, your extra time should be for God. But to us married people, live like you're not married. Husband and wife need to realize that God is our first and true love. And we need to put Him first. Our time in our families is God's time. Hey, time is short. Jesus Christ is coming back. We've got to be found ready. That's the, that's the premise of it all. We've got to be found ready. To, we've got to put God first so that we'll be ready when Jesus Christ comes back. You may not hit a home run all the time, but God's grace is going to keep you in the game. Are you worthy of His grace? Have you obeyed Christ? Do you need to repent? Like the good brother Cherry said, there's the private sin. Where you've, you've, you've wronged someone else. You, you know, you've wronged your brother or you've wronged your sister. And that's between the two of you. And y'all can work that out yourselves. Then there's the secret sin that nobody knows about. Nobody knows about that secret sin. And if you, if you know you need to work that out, that's not something you might ask for prayers here, as, as Brother Cherry said. But really that's between you and God. You need to ask God for forgiveness. Sometimes you've got those secret sins are those private sins and they become public sins to where the church, the church is, is wronged. The body of Christ looks bad because of your actions. And that becomes a public sin. And you need to, instead of going to each individual person in the congregation, you need to come forward and ask forgiveness for the, from the whole congregation. Maybe there's somebody out there that doesn't know Jesus. But you keep falling in love with Him as we sing over and over and, and over and over again. And you want, to, you want to obey Him in baptism. We have a place for you as well. If you have a need. You can hit a home run right now. You can make things right with God. We don't hit them very much. When we hit them, let's hit them. Come right now. Together we stand and sing.